Welcome back. I'm Steve Jackson, and this is Take It to God. In my last two episodes, I uh, interviewed a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Nathan Rhodes, and uh, we discussed the uh, leadership and the congregational relationship and how that ties in. And, and interestingly enough, we had been discussing uh, some movies. He had brought up uh, Robin Hood and uh, and how the, that love story towards the end really had some major significance so I, I found it interesting that was a good segue into this particular episode, which is episode eight, and it's the movie message is what I'm entitling it. And um, I, I find it very interesting how, you know, obviously movie, movies and, and television shows and, and books, all this stuff have a, obviously a message to present, be it whatever that may be. And I, and I think sometimes, and this is just from my experience, I feel that sometimes Christian leaders tend to shy away from promoting a particular movie because it's not considered a Christian theme movie. It's a, it's a secular movie. You would see it in the secular shows. There might be some violence involved, um, some language, uh, you know, depending on the movie itself. And uh, there's some, you know, good logic in that about, you know, keeping pure and, and and making sure not to just throw yourself into the culture. But this all goes back, obviously, to the theme of my podcast, which is take it to God, take it to Yahweh, ask him if a movie comes up, remain open to Yahweh saying yes or no. Um, I usually find it that it's not that I ask him about every movie. It's that if a movie comes out, I've, I sense a strong urging to, to see it for some particular reason. I've, I've come to hone in when I'm supposed to go, when I'm not supposed to go. And uh, so I just you know, I pay attention to that, and usually when I go, as odd as it seems that I'm going to a particular movie, I find it at the very end, I'm like, oh, wow, I could totally see why I had to see this. There was a particular message. It wasn't the entire thing was was pure gospel and, and truth all the way, but it, it had an important message that I felt needed to be presented either for me or something that I had to keep um, in my back pocket for a later date. And so I've decided to select a few movies um, that I found uh, significant. And obviously there's tons more. Um, and I'm sure anybody who's listening could say, oh yeah, but you forgot this one and you forgot this one. And as I said, there's tons of those out there. And and the point is, is that we're taking it back to him and asking him specifically, which movies apply to me and what are the messages that I need to grab from them? When I was formatting this particular uh, podcast, I found it very hard uh, being able to place movies in an order that I felt was relative and tied into the next one because they all were very circular in nature. They all had something that tied into something else of another part of a movie which tied into this. And and uh, it was really hard to create a list. So I'll probably be referring back to movies I've already talked about to show that there's these massive correlations and messages um, that need to be presented. And with that, I'll be playing some uh, audio clips from the movies, not actually showing the movies, but I'll be playing some audio clips that kind of get to the point of what I felt was important about that particular scene. Now, before I play these clips, I want to make the statement, obviously, that all these soundtracks that are being played are held by their respective copyright owners. I don't own any of these copyrights. I don't claim to own any of these copyrights. Um, these are all owned by Warner Brothers and the various studios that they have. But uh, So I just want to make sure that that is clear before I start playing these. In a desire to make sure this podcast stays as clean as possible, I've uh, either cut out any words that might be offensive or faded them out or something along those lines. So I'm trying to make it as family-friendly as possible. The first movie I want to address is The Matrix. It's a very obvious correlation. This movie came out about when I was around 1920, 
And uh, a pastor told me, he said, don't think of this as a Christian movie. Make sure you don't tie this in with Christian truths. And, 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 and that is the case. Even though there's not a Christian movie per se, there are many truths that have been presented in this movie. And the reason, in my opinion, that Yahweh uses these movies is to be able to present these truths to the general public so that he can try to communicate with the people. He can try to infiltrate them by using whatever means he feels is available to him. And I remind you that uh, an interesting thought that had been presented to me was that between Yeshua's life, between his birth and his crucifixion, there was a good chunk of people that were not following Yahweh, that were not listening to him, that were vital importance to fulfilling his mission. Pontius Pilate, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees during that time, um, Herod, all those people weren't willingly following Yahweh. But without their participation, the prophecies would not have been fulfilled. Him being crucified would not have happened. So there's this level of God using people without them really knowing it sometimes. And the Wachowski brothers, who were the writers and directors of The Matrix, in my opinion, that concept applies to them. And it's kind of amazing to watch the process because there was an extreme, there was an extremely important message presented. Now, I find it interesting, and this is, a, this is a belief that some believe that um, if you were to go back to when the creation of the earth started, many believe that we are now in the seventh millennium. So there have been 6,000 years up till now, and we're now in the seventh millennium. And that seventh millennium started in 2001, not in January, but in the first month of the year, which would have been the Aviv month, which would have been around March or April. And there's tons of resources out about that. One in particular, um, uh, Michael Rood does a lot of stuff about the the corrected Hebrew calendar. It's a kind of interesting topic. Um, and so if truly the seventh millennium started in 6001 or 2001, then this new season should be all about Yahweh because uh, they say that on the seventh day, uh, Yahweh rested, and this would be the millennium year of Yahweh. And that concept goes back to early church times uh, and far beyond that as well. So anyways, if this is the truth, then we would be in the seventh millennium. Now, I find it interesting that movies like this and that and the trilogy with The Lord of the Rings all were coming around that time. Now, granted, it moved into the early 2000s, but generally we were around that area. And The Matrix was one of those. And I think it really brought to the forefront, even more importantly, the love connection, the, the, the connection that we should have with God. It really brought that out. Now, some of the obvious things in The Matrix that would be tied into, per se, Christian beliefs would be Neil being the chosen one, um, sensing something wasn't right with what was going on equals there's something more to this life. Okay. Um, now, obviously, we don't know the process of him 
realizing that he was the son of God. Um, it could have been instantaneous. It could have been an, an absolute knowledge. But just if we look at ourselves, I, I think it does apply to all of us that when we look around, we go, there's something more than what is just going on. Um, and if you have any kind of religious leaning, then you would believe that there's something more to than just the physical life that we're living. And so that's, you know, a generic thing that we get to a spot where we come to a crisis um, or we knew, or we know that something's different and we want to find that out. We desire to seek out the truth. Another interesting one, and I don't have an audio clip for this, but um, when Cypher, now Cypher's the one in the first Matrix who ends up sabotaging them because he wants to get back into the Matrix because he doesn't like living uh, in the truth, in Zion. He's uh, fed up with it. So he ends up betraying him. But uh, there's the scene towards the middle of the movie where, where Neo comes up and is watching Cypher, and Cypher's just monitoring the Matrix on the computers, and it's really late at night, and they're, uh, they're talking, and, and Cypher kind of nonchalantly says to Neo, he's like, so did Morpheus tell you why you were here? You know, what your purpose is, you know? And Neo kind of shakes his head. He's like, oh, man, you're here to save the world. That's got to be nuts. And I think to some extent, I can only imagine the conversation, especially during the 40 days and 40 nights of the temptation of, of Yeshua, those conversations that must have been going on. I mean, we've got a, a snippet of those things um, with what the scripture says, but we don't know all that was discussed. We just know some of the things that were listed. And and I think, honestly, I find it kind of interesting that that probably might have been a conversation. It's like, man, you're here to save the entire world. That's that's kind of nuts. I mean, you're the king. You know, you're the king, and you're come to do all this. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, and especially in his weakened state, you know, try to, you know, say, oh, man, but only if you bow down to me, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about that. So I think that might have been a conversation. Can't guarantee it, obviously, but that thought has come to mind. Now, some of the stuff that I would say might not be so obvious um, is when uh, at the very, towards the end of the movie, when they found out that Cypher's uh, sabotaging them and, and Cypher is on the phone with Trinity and saying, you know, I tried to kill Tank and Dozer, the two people who were operating the, the ship, and he's about to try to eliminate all the people in the ship so that he can be relinked to the Matrix, and he gave the agents Morpheus. And uh, he's sitting on Morpheus at that moment in time because Morpheus is tapped into the Matrix, so he's basically in a state of sleep, so he just is kind of laying there, and he begins talking to Morpheus. And I feel that this conversation that he has with Morpheus is also something that might have been talked about, that the enemy was trying to put in the mind of Yeshua. But also, also, I think it represents the inner demons that try to attack us when it comes to these things. And the things that the inner demons say to us to try to convince us that we need to reject Yahweh, that we need to move away from him, and we need to get rid of anything that would have his name on it and follow the world because the world will save us. Now listen to this clip. I'm tired, Trinity. I'm tired of this war. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of this ship. Being cold, eating the same goop every day. But most of all, surprise! I bet you never saw this coming, did you? God, I wish I could be there. And they break you. I wish I could walk in just when it happens. 
So right then, you know it was me. You gave them Morpheus. He lied to us, Trinity. He tricked us. If you would have told us the truth, we would have told you to shove that red pill right up your ass. And it's not true, Cypher. He set us free. Free? You called this free? All I do is what he tells me to do. If I got to choose between that and the Matrix, I choose the Matrix. Now, I find that really interesting. Um, you know, the, the enemy really thought he'd probably won, you know, seeing Yeshua hanging on the cross. And he just wanted to make sure to know that he was the one who did it. He didn't realize that the plan had already been set in motion and that he would now be defeated, um, which is very similar to this process that happens in the Matrix. And when Cypher's talking at the very end of that conversation, he makes the comment, he lied to us. If I would have known that this is what I would be getting into, I would say, I don't want anything to do with it. Just put me back in the matrix. And he goes, I choose the matrix because it's easier. But in the end, Cypher dies. In the end, Cypher's defeated and he doesn't get what he wants. So it's, uh, I don't like my current circumstance. I don't want anything to do with it. Versus what is the long haul process through this? And that's the thing you have to battle out. It's a very important battle. Um, and that's why you have to take it to Yahweh. This is the conversations you have to have with Yahweh. You have to kind of look at your life sometimes and really begin to argue with him about those things. Because it's important that you get that out now so that when times get really tough, you're in a place of knowing you've battled it out with him, knowing the answers you need to know so you know how to weather the storm when it comes. Now, another clip from The Matrix that might be also kind of obvious, um, but I always find very interesting, is the one where Agent Smith finally has captured Morpheus, and he's told the other side agents to leave the room, and he just wants to talk with Morpheus as to try to break him so that he can get the codes to get into Zion. And there's a couple of them, but one in particular one I wanted to talk about was when Smith is talking about the design of the Matrix and what their process was when trying to design the Matrix so they could tap the people into it. Have you ever stood and stared at it, marveled at its beauty, its genius? Billions of people just living out their lives oblivious did you know that the first matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered where everyone would be happy it was a disaster no one would accept the program entire crops were lost some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world but I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. So the perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from. Which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this, the peak of your civilization. And I say your civilization, because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. Evolution. Like the dinosaur. Look out that window. You had your time. 
The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. All right. The thing that I find interesting about that clip is that discussion about the perfect world and, and the choice that inevitably we rejected it. You know, Yahweh offered us a, a perfection and we rejected it. We said we don't want it. We want to have the knowledge of good and evil. We want all that. And the enemy tricked us into doing it. But it was still our choice. We still had the choice as to whether or not to accept it or not. Obviously, we decided we wanted to know it on our own. And by doing so, instead of us gaining the keys to the world, we forfeited those keys over to the enemy. So now he's technically in charge. He is the principality of this world. And praise be to Yeshua that he inevitably came to save us from that. But we're still living in that world. We're still living in the world that is controlled by the enemy. That's why we still have to go through all these things left till the end of time. So we forfeited that over. So he basically said, we own this now. This is our world. This is what I've designed, technically, as the enemy would say. So I think it presents a message just to remind us that we forfeited that over. And now this whole process with the Matrix is trying to regain that back through that chosen one, which inevitably we do with Yeshua. Now, at the very end of that episode, um, when uh, Neo is killed by Agent Smith, the only thing that brings Neo back to life is the love of Trinity. It's the only thing that brings Neo back. And I think that's really important that we realize that it's the goodness and kindness of Yahweh that draws us to repentance. It's because he loved us first. And that is how we really connect with him. It's because he died for us that we're able to be alive. Very important message. This whole love theme is extremely important. These are why so many movies have that theme in it, is to present to us our relationship with Yahweh. And then in the second movie, it's Neo who brings Trinity back to life. And I can go on about the relationship that we have with Yahweh and how he desires for us to be a part of what he is doing. He cried out for intercessors. He says, I need intercessors. I need people to pray. Now, does he really need that? I mean, if he's really the creator of the entire world, does he really need intercessors to do anything? My opinion, no. My opinion is he purposely makes himself weak so that we have to be involved, so that we get to be involved. He's like, I need you. I want you. And sometimes it's even more important is to know that he wants us. He doesn't necessarily need us to do something. He wants us to do something. And I'm going to get into that in, with the next episode that I do about all the different relationships that we have in this world and how that ties into our relationship with Yahweh. They're all just shadow pictures and visual examples of what our relationship with Yahweh should look like. And now in the third one, it's the love of Trinity that moves Neo into his calling, into his purpose. And she dies away. And then he ends up moving into what his final calling is, and that is to eliminate Agent Smith. But the only thing that was driving him towards that was Trinity, was that love that moved him forward. And finally, when he came to that spot, he knew what his purpose was, and he was unafraid, absolutely unafraid. He was like... If I'm wrong, you can kill me now. But I think you need me to do this, is basically what he was telling the machines. So he knew his purpose had finally come to its fullness. And that's because everything was stripped away. 
Trinity was gone. And so he knew that this was his final thing as well. Trinity had fulfilled her purpose, and now he was about to fulfill his. I think it ties back into that chorus that so many people sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, where it's all about you. Inevitably, you get to that spot where it becomes nothing more than just you and Yahweh going forward. And I think Neo really, really showed that in this. And then at the very, very end, when Agent Smith technically defeats him, and he allows himself, Neo allows himself to surrender, surrender to the purpose and say, you know what, this is what I'm called to do, and it's got to happen this way. I've got to allow Agent Smith to take over me. Now, this is where I tend to differ, obviously, with the, the logistics of it in the fact that Yeshua did surrender over, and he said, take me, so that my purpose can be fulfilled. And in our lives, we have to surrender over to Yahweh, and we have to say, Yahweh, you have defeated death, obviously, so that battle is won. Now, in my daily life, I have to surrender over to you what my purpose is here on this earth. So there is a dying to oneself. And that's a very important theme throughout the scriptures and a very important theme throughout this movie. And another one that, uh, that I kind of like personally is uh, Seraph, uh, when Seraph was fighting Neo. Now, Seraph was the assistant to the Oracle, and when they first met, in, and I believe in the second Matrix, um, he has to fight Neo before he can go see the Oracle. And he says, he goes, I just needed to know you were Neo. He's like, well, why didn't you just ask me? He's like, because you truly don't know somebody until you fight them. And I think to some extent, there is that logic with Yahweh too. Until we come to a spot where we argue out with him our existence, where we argue out with him the things that we don't like about him, because there will be things. If we read the scriptures, there's got to be stuff in there that we're not too thrilled about. And you're like, oh, I don't like this part of the scriptures. Well, that's fine you don't. And now you get to battle it out with Yahweh as to why it's important and what the issues are with it and, and why he puts it in there and why you struggle with it. Jacob had that same thing in the Old Testament where he, had to, where he fought with God to receive that blessing. Now, he didn't know he was fighting with God at the time, but he fought with God to receive that blessing. And I think even more so with us, we have to fight with God sometimes to get down to the root of why we truly believe what we do and why we're angry with him. If we are, we might not be, but to get down to the root and heart of those issues that sometimes we just cover up because we just do not want to deal with them. And I think God wants that argument. He wants that because in that we get to know him and then we get to know ourselves at the same time. Now, The Matrix obviously has tons more to offer in those different areas and you can you know, pick those different things out. And I would recommend watching all these movies that we talk about. I really would. I would think they would be important. And you obviously have to pray about them. If you sense that God says, no, don't go see that, well, then you need to be obedient to what he's saying. But I would offer out that these movies are important in getting a message across. Now, this next movie I want to go over is a movie called What Happens in Vegas. And it's with Cameron Diaz and Ashton Kutcher. When I first went to go see this movie, I was a little bit nervous. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be one of those typical B-movies, potentially. But as I watched it, it really was quite clean in general. Language-wise, there really wasn't anything there. Um, it was just an interesting story, and I, and I didn't think I was really going to like it. And I ended up really liking it. I really thought it was really interesting. And the reason I did is because the gist of this plot, if you haven't seen it, and this is a spoiler alert, by the way, 
Ashton, his his character, and Cameron, her character, they each have their own relationship issues, different locations. They do not know each other at this time. They end up uh, going to Vegas to kind of get away from their current woes, and they end up meeting there. And they end up, you know, they're all end up getting drunk and and end up getting married because they're just totally drunk. And they wake up the next morning and realize that they're married. And so they realize they've made a absolutely horrible mistake. And so they say, well, we just, we need to get this resolved as quickly as possible. Well, at that moment in time, uh, they're playing this little slot machine. And so they get into a tad bit of an argument. And so one puts in the quarter and one pulls down the handle at two different points in time. And when they pull down to the handle, they win $2 million. And so Ashton's like, yes, yes, I won $2 million. This is great. And Cameron reminds us, yes, honey, we have $2 million because now they're technically married. So then they go to court. They think they're going to get this whole thing out. And the judge says, I'm going to put this thing through so much red tape that you won't see your $2 million unless you go through marriage counseling. He goes, I'm tired of all these people just, you know, deciding they want to get a divorce, take the money and run. He's like, I'm tired of it. So you guys, you guys are going to try to work through your problems and get to the heart of it. So anyways, this whole movie is this process of them having to fake trying to get to know each other. And in that time, they really get to know each other. And they realize that they really do love each other. You can see it. I mean, obviously there was chemistry when they were there, but uh, now there's even more chemistry. They come from two totally different backgrounds. And so they've come, they've collided now and they really, really begin to foster this relationship. And so it's this process. And I use that word very, it's a very important word process. It's the process of them getting to know each other that leads to this end. And there's um, a final scene in the court when they decide the whole a whole bunch of stuff has happened. She had been engaged for a while, and and the guy ended the engagement. And so there was this ring that was somehow involved, and um, Ashton's character ended up getting a hold of the ring, and and there was a whole bunch of misunderstanding. And so in the last part of this, now Cameron Diaz's character in the end basically says, you know what? He can have the money. I don't want the money. Because she assumed that she that he had betrayed her. In reality, he did not. But she says, you just take the money. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And so she just decides to move on with her life. Now, he doesn't want the money either. He wants her. But he's he just takes the money because she's like, I just don't want it. You won. So just take it. Now, the last scene is very interesting in the fact that um, the court trial is ended. Technically, he's got the money. And so... Um, but now he's in love with her and he wants to try to find her. And so uh, she ends up quitting her job and all those things like that. And, and she goes off to a little beach area where there's a lighthouse. And that's where she always goes to kind of clear her thoughts and get readjusted. And so he uh, was coming back to kind of to give her the ring um, that he had had from another prior engagement. And that wasn't the total reason, but he comes to give her the ring um, and he ends up proposing to her. But anyways, I'm going to play this last scene for you and uh, kind of discuss some interesting things I saw in it. You found me. You left us behind. And uh, I wanted to bring it back to you. Do you know uh, how many lighthouses there are 30 miles east of the city? How many? Five. Really? Yeah, just in case you're wondering. So, did you come all the way out here just to give this back to me? I did, so I'm gonna get out of here. All right, here it is. 
When we were married, I was horrible, sick, just wrong. And it's the best time I've ever had. You bet on me, Joy. And you made me want to bet on myself. So don't think about anyone else and just answer this for you. Do you want to be married to me? Again? You know, for so long I have just, I've tried to please everybody. And by not trying to please you, I think I became myself again. I do want to be married to you. I quit my job. I heard. I have absolutely no idea what I'm gonna do. No clue. Well, it's a good thing that I have. That we have a ton of money. Oh my god. <laughs> That's right. We hit the jackpot. Yeah, I did. Now, the thing I find really interesting about this particular scene is at the very end, it's almost, it's almost as if when he says, but we have a ton of money, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's right, we do. I find it interesting. It was the entire process that got them there. And once they got to the goal, which inevitably was to be able to split the two million evenly, when they got to that goal, none of them really cared anymore because what it was, it was they got to know each other. And that, that has always been, in my opinion, with Yahweh. And the fact that Yahweh will give us a goal, Yahweh will give us a purpose and give us a drive to do something. And he'll say, look, look there. That's the horizon. That is your calling. That's what you're called to do. And if we truly are following him, we'll go, all right, let's go to the goal. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be there in a while, but let's go backwards. And he literally takes us the opposite direction of where the goal is. And I'm sure we're all going, well, but, but the goal's that way. Why, why are we going this way? That doesn't make any sense. We probably should turn around. I know you're getting confused, but let's just turn around and go forward. And yeah, I was like, no, no, no. I know exactly where we're going. We got to go back this way. And we go backwards and we go backwards and then we take a left and then he goes, okay, let's start heading towards that goal. And we're like, finally. All right. And he's like, oh, that can wait. All right. Let's, let's go to the right now and let's go backwards and let's go back a little bit further. And we get further and further and further away from our goal and we can't see it. And we're just like, oh, either I got this wrong or obviously this isn't my goal or God's just leading me astray. Or, or I'm off on this wrong path. Somehow I've gotten sidetracked and I can't get to this goal. It's the process of getting from A to B and getting to know Yahweh in that process. That's the important part. Because once we get to the goal, if we truly have followed, if we truly have followed his path of getting to that goal, then by the time we get to that goal, we're kind of like, oh yeah, the goal. I totally forgot about that. I just got to know the creator of the universe. That was the most amazing process. 
That's the point. That's the point. The ministry, that goal, is really kind of the secondary thing, in my opinion, because the ministry will come, and I've always said this, out of just the nature of you being with him. So if Yahweh has a goal for us, he wants us to follow a certain path. But the question is, are we willing to follow his path? And sometimes it's a little bit more direct to the goal. There might be, you know, this is the next step and we got to get to this and I'm going to show you it and we're going to head directly to that. But I have, I just guarantee that the, that the larger ones, especially the larger ones, I think, in my opinion, he's going to route us around forever so that we get to know him because those big things were like, oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. I want to get to that. And then once we get to it, if we take our own direct path, we just head straight to it. You know, you always, you know, kind of off the sidelines and we're like, but I'm at my goal. I've reached the horizon. Everything's good now, right? Yeah, but we don't know Yahweh. And so when that mountain comes crumbling down, then we're just like, well, where's God? How did this happen? And we try to rebuild the mountain. We try to make it work better. Instead of stopping and going, Yahweh, where are you in all of this? And even after that mountain craters, if we go directly to it, I guarantee he's still saying, okay, well, let's not worry about that right now. Let's, why don't you follow me and we'll head in the opposite direction for a while and you get to know me a little bit better. I think honestly, all these scandals and all these things that are going on in the church, like we discussed in the last podcast, I think are Yahweh's way of trying to get people out, not necessarily to avoid being in the church, but to get them out to focus on their relationship. And I don't know if I made this really clear in the last episode, but, you know, I think he tries to do it privately for a while. He tries to say, why don't you come with me? Let's do this in a private manner so that no one else is watching. So why don't you step down from your position right now, even if it's just a couple months, and we are going to discuss our relationship and the important things you need to know. And then maybe we can step back into this. Because before you step back into this, these things have got to be resolved. And it's less with the circumstantial evidence that we visualize as people watching leaders get into all these scandals. It's less of that issue. It's more of a foundational issue that God wants to deal with. And then if we continually fight him on it, I think inevitably he just says he makes it public. And not as a punishment and not as to embarrass us, but once again, he realized that the private nudging wasn't working. So now he says, well, I'm going to make this public so that you really see how important it is that you and I get together for just a few moments before you try to go on to your next step. And unless we heed that warning, I think things are just going to heat up. And they're going to heat up in a way that we're not going to be able to handle it because we haven't made that relationship our foundational reason for doing anything. We have not made the relationship and the, the, the whole process of getting to the goal the point and the goal, I guess, you know, we've made the process of getting to the goal, the goal, not the goal itself. And when we do that, when we finally get to the goal, it's not a big deal. We could take it or leave it. We could take or leave the goal, which is exactly what happened in this movie. At the end of the movie, they had fought the entire movie to get this money that in that process, they realized how much they love each other. And what's interesting is they both had friends trying to pull them and say, you just got to get the money. You got to get the money. That was their drive. And, you know, that's a good example of Job, you know. I mean, Job was like, you know, all of his friends were telling him something that was totally wrong. It sounded holy. It sounded godly. It sounded Christianese. But it wasn't the truth. 
And it was only because Job knew his relationship with Yahweh better than anybody else. And so that was the battle that he and Yahweh had to have. It's the same thing with this movie. Those two characters knew that there was chemistry there. Even though they went about it in such a weird way, they knew there was chemistry there. And so they couldn't get past that. They could not get past that. At the end of the movie, they the way that she said that to me should be the way that we say it to Yahweh. We're like, oh yeah, that's right. The goal. Now, what were we going to do once we got here? Because you're falling in love with Yahweh. And that is the only thing that matters at the end of the day, is your relationship with him. I mean, I'm sorry. There's, there's nothing else you can take with you. You can't take your ministry with you. You can't. You can't take your career. We've made ministry a career. We can't take either one of them. The only thing we can, we can harbor with us is the relationship that we've built with him. That's it. That's, at the end of the day, he's the only answer to. So I find this movie, when I saw this movie, I said, wow, that's, that's a very important message. It's, we finally forgot about the purpose of why we were doing this. And we fell in love. The next movie I wanted to get to was obviously another important one, not only to our culture worldwide, but also, I think, a, a good foundational truth. And that is Star Wars. Absolutely filled with meaning. George Lucas was a man of diverse religious background, um, but he did truly believe in the basic concept of good versus evil and decided to keep the movie non-denominational. Now, I know the movie doesn't just pull off of Christian themes. There's a lot of other religions that are tied into that. So I'm not just saying this is purely Christian theme. It obviously isn't, and that's obviously well documented. However, he did say this. I began to distill the essence of all religions into what I thought was a basic idea common to all religions and common to primitive thinking. I wanted to develop something that was non-denominational, but still had a kind of religious reality. I believe in God, and I believe in right and wrong. And that was quoted in an interview, and I honestly do not have the, uh, the notes as to what book that was in. But what I find interesting is when he says, I was trying to make it non-denominational, because I've always said that each religion, if we truly are made in the image of, of God, in the image of Yahweh, I don't care what religion you're a part of, because if we're made in his image, there's obviously foundational truths that are instilled in us, whether we've gone off the deep end in one way or on the other. I'm not making a comment on that. What I'm making a comment on is that we're each created in his image, so we each have to have certain foundational truths that are a part of us. It's understanding them that we get all screwed up. We have all these problems and all these different religions, let alone just inside the body of Christ. We've all decided that we are going to do our own thing. Um, so the diversity is just massive just inside that. But we have all those foundational truths built into us, but how we tap into them is where we get messed up. And I think if you look at all the different religions, not even just in the Christian realm, but worldwide, you'll see these nuggets of like, it, it still ties back into it, which is why we have this problem. If we just attack them and say, oh, you're, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Our way is the only right way. You're just wrong. You're missing an opportunity to try to say, you are tapping into something. And what is that? Paul did that when he was looking at all the different statues and there was the statue of the unknown God. And Paul said, you know what statue this is? You know what this represents? This represents Yahweh. So he understood that concept as well, that we're each built to receive Yahweh. That's why we were built, was so that we could be a part of him 
and he could be a part of us. So we're naturally made to receive him. So the different religions that are all out there, they don't necessarily point to Yahweh, but they satisfy something in him that Yahweh wanted to satisfy. So there's obviously going to be similarities in certain things. But how we approach that with those people is a different story. And that's a different podcast, let alone a different story. But what was interesting about this, about Star Wars, is tons of things, obviously. The Force and, you know, good versus evil and stuff like that. But there is one quote that Master Yoda said when he was talking to young Anakin Skywalker. He could tell that Anakin was troubled by something, and it ended up being it was his mother. He was troubled by leaving his mother behind and for her safety. And so Yoda said, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And thus Vader is formed at the end of episode three, and then we go into the beginning of episode four. It's an important thing that you've got to deal with. It's an important thing. If you have fear, you have anger. If you have anger, you have hate, and hate leads to suffering. And I think hate inevitably and leads to death because we have animosity towards Yahweh. We, we break ties with them because we're angry. And even if that's hating your neighbor, you're still putting animosity towards you and Yahweh. He talks about that because he knows that your power is limited if that's there, especially for people who are very passive aggressive. I think this is a real issue because we inevitably in our Christian walk as passive aggressive people, we just push it under the table and we say, we're not going to deal with it. We're just going to be holy people and we're not going to deal with it. And then you get yourself in a whole bunch of trouble because the enemy just sits there and festers at it. He's just like, oh, but man, if you had the chance to tell that person that, or if you could tell Yahweh this, if you could just hit this person once, you'd get it all out. And that's exactly what the Dark Lord was trying to convince Luke Skywalker to do. He's like, oh, I can see the anger raging in you when you're trying to think about all your friends and that they were in such peril. I can sense the anger. Use that anger for your benefit. And that's exactly what the enemy tries to get us to do. Using our anger to be able to go do what we got to do. Instead, we've got to step back from our anger. And to do that, we have to develop that relationship with Yahweh that's so strong that we can immediately move away from that hatred and anger and move in to that place of rest inside of him. But he wants us to battle it out with him. This isn't a passive thing. It's not like, well, I'm just going to forget about it and not worry about it. It's about, I need to address it, take it to him, battle it out, say, Yahweh, what do I do with this anger and hate and how do I handle it? And, and let's get to the root of why I have this anger and hate and where do I not trust you and where do I trust you and, and all these things. That's why he pulls us aside so often so that we have time with him to really begin to deal with those things that have to be dealt with. Otherwise, the next steps that we make will be either out of fear or anger and then we just begin to slowly move away from Yahweh. Unless we make steps because we believe that that's our next step, because we want to be obedient to Yahweh and we've developed a relationship to be able to step into that area, you're going to have trouble. You're going to be in big trouble because your motives inevitably get all screwed up. And it's either then out of pride or fear or whatever that you move into the next step or don't move into the next step. So it's very important that you battle those things out. It's not an easy journey. I'm not saying this is the easiest process in the world, but neither is building a relationship with anybody 
but you would with your spouse if you truly were in love with them, as difficult as it may be, if that's all you can think of is being with them, you are willing to work. You are willing to battle it out. You are willing to fight for what you believe is your better half. And another thing with, with what the Dark Lord was doing with uh, both Anakin when he tried to get him to harness his anger, same thing with Luke, this is obviously what the enemy is using to pull us away. And by us allowing him in our body, in our mind, we have introduced a disease, a cancer, and we end up fighting ourselves. We're always battling with ourselves. We're never dealing it with, with Yahweh. We're always in this place of fear or anger. And so there's always this internal fighting that's going on all the time, unless we're able to get to the root of why it's there. And this concept of entering a disease into the body, I, I think ties in with so many, and for the rest of the movies that I'm going to talk about, ties in with that concept. We introduce something into our lives that inevitably destroys it unless we deal with it with Yahweh. And so we've got to battle that out with him on a regular basis. And so when we invite that into our lives, people watch us from the outside, they see the effects of us not dealing with it, and they go, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And I think you have a lot of people looking at the church today, and we've allowed hypocrisy and greed and bitterness, all the non-fruits of the Spirit, into our life, into our churches, into our leadership, and everybody who's watching the outside goes, why would I want anything to do with that? There is nothing that you are offering that drives me to get to know this God that you serve. Because we don't represent him all that well. <laughs> and obviously that's not a blanket statement. Nothing I ever say on here is a blanket statement. It's always something you got to take with Yahweh, and each person is different, each circumstance is different. But in general... People will look at that and they'll go, why would I want to have anything to do with that? We are doing a disservice to Yahweh. And the big question is, the big question is, is the reason we're in ministry in the first place is because Yahweh wants us to be there or because we have some level of fear or anger and we have moved ourselves into that? Even if you want to call it greed, that's still a fear of not having plenty. That's still a fear. That's still not trusting Yahweh. So not even fear leads to hate, but fear also leads to greed. Fear leads to a lot of stuff. There was a movie out that was uh, an animated movie, but it was animated over actual live footage. Um, and it was called Waking Life. And it's really interesting because it goes through tons of different philosophies. Um, but it does it as this person who's sleeping. And so he's kind of sleepwalking and he can never wake up from his sleep and it's a very interesting concept but one of the philosophers that he ends up talking to in his process of dreaming is this guy who brings up this concept he's like what is the greatest weakness in men is it fear or is it laziness he's like the reason that we've never really developed much further than what the greeks had is because of either one of these two options fear or laziness I personally think it's fear. I think if you're lazy, you're, you're afraid to take a step. Um, sometimes you're f afraid of success. You're afraid of losing your comfort level. You know, the list goes on. So it's a very interesting concept that Star Wars presents, but also this other movie, Waking Life, presents as well. 
Well, I think we're going to stop for now. Um, as always, if you have any questions or comments, uh, please feel free to email me. My email address is sjacksonpro at me.com. That's sjacksonpro at me.com. Next week, I'll be continuing with this theme, and we're going to start off with the TV show The Office. And uh, my friend Nathan will be returning, and we'll be discussing some other movies as well. And once again, take it to God. Take everything you hear and read to Yahweh and ask him his opinion. So we'll see you next week. 